the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. What's your major, terrorism? Or maybe it's, um, I don't know, facilitating terrorism? You know, the nation of Qatar, used to be pronounced Qatar there for a while, but it's now Qatar, I guess. The nation of Qatar has been accused of being a friend to terrorists in the Middle East, including Hamas. And in fact, there's actually a video out there right now showing the leadership of Hamas watching news reports of the attack on Israel over the weekend. And they're jumping up and down. Well, they're actually acting like they're surprised, like they were shocked that it was happening. And the word is that uh, they were the guests of the Qatar government. Now, I don't know when I first became aware that CMU, that would be Carnegie Mellon University, had a branch campus in Qatar. That seemed kind of strange to me. But I've thought of it every time I hear references to Qatar and possible ties to terrorists. I don't know, it just seems like a strange place for a Pittsburgh school to have a branch, you know, quite a bit different from, say, Pitt Johnstown. Now, I called their media relations department and left a couple of messages, got no response. So have there been any protests on the CMU campus about Qatar's government policy of making sexual contact between males illegal and punished with three years in prison? Uh, And beatings and torture and forced conversion therapy have also been used by the police over there for gay men. And now, after the attack on Israel, I'm hearing that Qatar has been pretty friendly with Hamas. Just wondering if this makes anybody at CMU a little uncomfortable. The relationship apparently includes funding from the Qatar government for research. Again, nothing wrong with that unless the same people are actually funding Hamas. If so, you would think that's a problem. And you have to wonder if anybody at CMU is wondering if being associated with Qatar is something to brag about, which they do, by the way. I guess we'll find out eventually. And maybe they call me back and explain. That would be nice. But it would seem like a pretty good story for local media to look into, don't you think? When we come back, we will have David Harsani, senior editor at The Federalist, to talk about all the things Joe Biden and the Democrats have done to appease Hamas and other terrorist countries in the Middle East. And in our second half hour, maybe you missed it with all the stuff going on in the Middle East, but today is Columbus Day, and we will have an historian here to shoot down all the myths about Columbus perpetrated by liberals in academia and elsewhere. Stick around. Seems like uh, kind of a coincidence that Hamas which is funded by Iran, attacked Israel just a few weeks after Joe Biden decided to make $6 billion available to Iran. David Harsanyi is a senior editor at The Federalist. He's looked into all the appeasing that Joe and the Democrats have done over the years. He joins us now. David, always good to have you. Thanks for coming on again. It's always a pleasure to be on. Thank you. So um, let's start with the claims that Iran didn't use that $6 billion to help Hamas attack Israel. Well, I think I should preface all this by saying that it's 
actually, when you look at all the waivers that the uh, that the Biden administration has has given in various forms to Iran, it's more like, you know, 40 billion, not six. But the very idea, you know, this argument that they didn't spend that six billion is so ridiculous for, you know, anyone a child even understands the, the concept of fungible dollars. You don't, you know, you spend money knowing that more money's coming in. You don't have to spend that exact dollar on terrorism for it to matter. In the end, the fact is that Joe Biden released lots of money to the Iranian regime, which is not, you know, not just funding proxies to attack Israel, but it's killed American soldiers, like 600 of them over the years uh, in Iraq and has worked against American interests. And, and Hamas killed Americans the other day and to, to probably took Americans hostage as well. So that, that's something we, I think, need to remember. I saw somebody tweeted it was pretty good, said that uh, this, the, the argument about the $6 billion is like um, you give uh, $50 to your daughter's boyfriend and he shows up with beer and condoms and you say, that's not what I gave you the money for. And he says, oh, I didn't use that $50. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's ridiculous. It doesn't matter. You know, it, when you give Hamas, as we do, by the way, like uh, $500 million or whatever it was in aid, you know, they're just going to take the money that we're going to spend on food and other things and use use them on weapons. That's how dollars work. There's no way you can earmark a dollar for something. It's There's just no way to enforce that. Why do you suppose uh, one of Biden's first moves after taking office was to return funding to a nice group uh, known as uh, the one you write about here, Fatah, I guess, F-A-T-A-H. Mm-hmm. And Hamas as well. I mean, well, I, I, listen, I don't I don't think that Joe Biden walks around wanting people to blow up Jews or anything like that. But mm-hmm. the bottom line is their way of approaching this problem is to try to appease these groups like they would a normal, normal people in the world. You help them, they're going to become more uh, civilized or they're going to become... You know, they're going to want peace or they're going to want prosperity. But that's not how it works with radical Islamists. That's not how it works with a group like Hamas. And over and over, we see that this kind of appeasement doesn't work. And now we have one of the most one of the worst terror acts in, in history. Right. Uh, and um, and it is, you know, and, and a lot of this we funded indirectly. There's no way around that. Why? But if you know that and um, I guess I know that. How much? How many times would you have to be burned on something like that before you say, hey, you know, maybe we shouldn't give these guys any money? That's a very good question. I mean, we've, you know, this thing in Israel, which everyone pretends is a complex situation, it's not. It's rather simple. One side just doesn't want to live with with Jews next door. There's the, Hamas doesn't. It's not like Hamas is 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 debating over where the border should be between a Palestinian state and Israel. Their charter says they want to kill all the Jews there and 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 that and and send them back into the sea. I I don't I don't know why they think the way they do. Maybe they just want to you know be known as the people who brought peace to the Middle East or whatever it is. But now the repercussions of what happened are going to be very serious and widespread because Iran is involved and maybe Lebanon's involved and Israel can't just sit there and let people massacre its children and rape their women. And, and you know, and they just can't let it happen. So we're going to see what happens now. What's the intended purpose, uh, do you think, of the money given to Gaza? Or was there one stated? When we gave it to them? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for for humanitarian relief mm-hmm. and uh, to help 
you know, help Gaza and also the West Bank. Most of it probably went to the West Bank to help them, you know, not live in, in abject poverty. But here's the thing. I, I, you know, I keep hearing people say that Gaza is occupied territory. Gaza was given autonomy in 2005. They could have built a very nice place there, a country of their own, basically. And it was a test run to see if there could be a Palestinian state. Within two years, they had uh, murdered the opposition, the so-called moderates, and created a terror state and started lobbing missiles at civilians in Israel. So how can anyone be expected or how can Americans expect Israel to give a state to people who act in that way? It's just it's never going to happen. Yeah, see, something I just I just don't understand. And I'm not by any means some kind of um, expert on geopolitical issues. But um, I don't these people that we're dealing with, the, the ones that uh, created this uh, havoc over the weekend, uh, they're still living in the 13th century. They have modern weapons, but you know, if they would have had them in the 13th century, it would have been the same back then. Um, why do we? Uh, th- to me, they either need to be totally ignored or exterminated. There's no in between. Am I nuts? Well, I mean, I think Hamas, yeah, needs to be exterminated. Yeah, uh, you know, it's it's it, you know. There's no other way around it. Everyone thinks that Benjamin Netanyahu is this hawkish, you know, figure, but he's actually been quite moderate on this on on, on Hamas and on Gaza. They can't let it happen anymore. My theory is I am not some big expert either, but I would say that my theory is Iran. We know now trained and helped this. You know, this is a this is a large scale operation. Uh, Hamas is not doing this on their own. The Iranians mm-hmm. helped them. I think they were trying to undermine this deal that maybe the Saudi Arabians were, 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 were getting into with Israel, whatever reason. And I think it was, you know, quote unquote, far more successful than they had ever thought, because let's be honest, this is a massive failure on Israel's part as well uh, to not stop this. And uh, because it was as, quote unquote, successful, the repercussions are going to be far bigger than they, I think, imagined. I think it was a big miscalculation. Yeah, I'm I'm getting the feeling that uh, Israel has uh, gone to the parking lot strategy. Um, you know, the turn it into a parking lot, that which is a sentiment that's out there. If if yeah, I mean, if a country next door to the United States sent over militants and started mm-hmm. kidnapping and exterminating what did they kill 250 young people at a music festival, executed yeah. them, taking women old people, children, kidnapping children, putting them in cages, so on and so on. How would we react? I think I think we saw how we reacted, how we reacted with Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, you know, that's how you have to react. These people understand, and I'm, I'm talking about the gr- militant groups, yeah. even though, let's be honest, people in the streets were cheering for them. It's not like they're not for this. Mm-hmm. But anyway, uh, those militant groups understand power. They don't un- understand anything else, and they have to be exterminated. Hamas has to be exterminated. And the Office of Palestinian Affairs' first response was to show restraint. Probably not something Israel is interested in right now. That's that's the U.S. Office of Palestinian Affairs, I guess. Yeah, can you imagine someone uh, kills a 1,000 Americans, and then people ask America to cease fire before they get retribution or before they can even save the hostages or before they can even take back their own cities that have been occupied. Mm -hmm. Um, That is insanity. And it is only, 
I think it is only uh, Israel, uh, you know, who I think is fair to say is our best ally. I, I don't think Israel has ever stood apart from the United States. Mm-hmm. And that, that's, those are the people we tell to seize fire and step down after being, having this 9-11 level attack for them. I mean, that's what it is. Um, I, I sent you a link, and I, I talked about this the opening when I opened the show. Here in Pittsburgh, Carnegie Mellon University has a branch campus in Qatar. Huh. Uh, and I, I, as I said at the, when I opened the show, I've known about this for a while. I've never heard anybody really talk about it in, in, here in town. Um, do you think, just based on what Qatar has been known for, that CMU ought to be a little bit nervous about that or start to wonder or at least question their association with that country? Well, the, Qatar spreads money all over the place. That's not the only school. Tons of schools yeah. oh, get yeah. money yeah, 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 yeah. from them and stuff like that. Yeah. And hey, listen, I, I live in reality. We're going to have friends sometimes that are bad people to get, mm-hmm. you know, to help us and so on. But if the country doesn't help us, if the country hosts Hamas, if the country is a friend of Iran's, um, I don't understand how these institutions, which pretend to, which pretend to care about open you know, discourse and freedom and learning could be associated with them. They're bribed by these people because they're rich, because they happen to yep. be sitting on oil. And, um, you know, it says something about them. And, let, and like if Omar is giving you, a, let's say, $100 million, how, how prone are you going to be to hire someone, for instance, who's critical of Qatar? Sorry, not Oman, Qatar. Yep. Yep. Or, you know, so it, it, it's dangerous, just like with China, spreading their money around. It's the same kind of thing. Well, uh, it's interesting to me, too, because, you, you know, we all know about what happens on college campuses when a conservative dares to show up to speak. Um, uh, you know, Riley Gaines or somebody like that shows up and they have near riots. Um, but here's Carnegie Mellon in Pittsburgh, and it has a direct association and a campus in Qatar. And Qatar sends people to prison, men to prison for three years if they're found to have had sex with other men. Uh, can you imagine a company that, that uh, even even endorsed that showing up to speak on the CMU campus? Yeah. Somebody representing when, uh, that. Yeah, when a state like Georgia passes a um, yeah. voter integrity law, everyone's boycotting, <laughs> but then <laughs> Qatar or, or Saudi Arabia or whoever, Iran... Or, you know, they, they, they spread their money around, or China, which uses slave labor. Everyone's fine with it. I mean, it is. It's, it's, it's insanity. We're talking to David Harsani. He's a senior editor at The Federalist. Uh, he has a good piece up at thefederalist.com about how the Biden administration has appeased, and the Democrats have a record of appeasement here when it comes to terrorists. So uh, who's Rob Malley, and why is he a problem, uh, David? <laughs> well, Rob Malley's been around a long time. Rob Malley, uh, it was uh, one of the people who helped Obama make the Iran deal. Before that, he had been an Obama advisor, but was let go after it was learned that he had met with Hamas. But he met with Hamas again after that, and Obama rehired him anyway. Um, And here's what the real problem is. Now, we know that Obama had a, or the Obama administration wanted to lift Iran into a regional power. that, I think, is indisputable at this point. But Rob Malley, it turned out, we know this from emails that were uncovered, hired three advisors who who had pledged loyalty to the Islamic State in Iran. Um, they asked them for directions. They asked them for advice. Um, 
they promised to help them. They, they, uh, th- these emails go to 2020, so we don't even know what they were saying after that time. One of them right now works in the Pentagon, has security clearance, and works in the Pentagon. I'm not saying this person's a spy, but I'm saying they could very easily be one, and we wouldn't even know. So um, That's, that's Ariane Tabatabai? Tabatabai. I think so, yeah. Yeah, I can't pronounce her name, but yeah. And, so, and, yeah, and there's another guy they wanted to put, you know, he tried to get through Rob Malley. Oh, yeah, and Rob Malley tried to get this person through, and they couldn't get security clearance. And now Rob Malley's under investigation from the FBI for mishandling classified documents reportedly, or more, we don't even know right now. We haven't heard much about him in the media, Rob, I mean. <laughs> this story's completely blacked out other than maybe a couple of places. And if you if you change the word Iran to Russia, and this was during the Trump years, this would be uh, there would be a nuclear meltdown over this story. Yeah. Well, you write that Obama turned on Israel. Why did he and and the people who worked for him have such a problem with Israel and still do apparently? Well, let's be honest. There, you know, on the left, when you have progressives, they've always been anti-Israel. I don't know. I can't bore into his soul, but I think there are a lot of people who just don't like Israel because of, you know, the colonialist aspect or Mm -hmm. the capitalist aspect or because they hate Netanyahu or because they hate uh, the the, the idea of Israel over there. And that's always been you see what happened now. You see the reaction from the squad and people like this. They they side with the barbarians, frankly. And, you know, so, I mean, that's been the case for a long time. A left wing terrorist used to. uh, participate in in terrorism in the 70s with the PLO. I mean, this has just always been the case. I don't know why it's this way, um, but it is. So with things getting uh, ready to blow up over there uh, in the Middle East, do you think any Democrats might become a little bit more interested in the U.S. returning to uh, energy independence or no? (laughs) Uh, They always do right before elections because they want gas prices low. But uh, afterwards, no, they'll start – their argument's always like, we need to get a foil so we don't have to rely on these countries anymore. But we also can drill here, so it becomes a very complicated, uh, logical problem for them. But, you know, somehow they make it work for themselves. Politically, I just – I don't know how uh, they continue to even get away with it with anybody. Um, when you see – why would you want to be dependent on – what do you need to see from countries like Iran and, and uh Qatar and uh, Saudi Arabia and just down the list, Syria. Why would you want to depend on them for anything? Wouldn't you want to just make sure that you have that you don't even know they exist? Just I don't I don't get that. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think those are bad places, but some of them, like the Saudis, at least they, I, I hope, are helping the United States in some way, and they're not good guys or anything like that. Don't get me wrong, but they're better than Iran. Um, yeah, I wouldn't want to rely on any of them if I didn't have to. Um, I mean, oil, you know, there are lots of places in the world that make oil now. There's more, you know, in the, you know Norway or where, you know, wherever, yeah. or Brazil or so, you know, get natural gas, things like that. So, yeah, we have options. We shouldn't have to rely on the Middle East that much anymore. Uh, I, I just can't believe it, that, that there's anybody out there who wants to have to go to them for anything. Hey, um, uh, David, I appreciate, as always, you coming on the show. Great to have you. Always good to be here. Thank you. Okay, that's David Harsani, and you can find him at thefederalist.com. Well, happy Columbus Day. Uh, With everything that's uh, going on in the world right now, it's not getting much attention. In some places, it's 
being ignored. The liberals have succeeded in convincing people that he's a bad guy. But today is Columbus Day. Mary Graybar, who wrote a book called Debunking Howard Zinn, joins us now. Mary, always good to have you on. I think we had you on a Columbus Day or two ago. Yes, it's great to be back on. I'm always happy to talk to you yes. and to tell the truth about Christopher Columbus and uh, how Howard Zinn lied. <laughs> yeah. So before we get to Christopher Columbus, uh, for people who don't know, who is, is he still alive, Howard Zinn? No, no. Yeah, he's he, been gone a while, uh, he right? Died in, yeah, he he died in 2010 at the age of 87. That's what I thought um, he was But his for. legacy lives on in so many ways. And um, in one of the primary ways is what you said. You know, people are ignoring Columbus. Um, it's been replaced by Indigenous Peoples Day. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he was quite proud of how he had transformed the holiday. Yeah. And and why did you? It's not just Columbus, but you de, you just debunked his his entire existence, his book. <laughs> yeah, well, um, Howard Zinn's The People's History of the United States um, has been in publication since 1980. It sold over four million copies, broken sales records, and a lot of that is due to the fact that it's being used in schools. Uh, K through 12 and in college. And it's a Marxist uh, propaganda history of the United States. Howard Zinn himself, um, who earned a Ph.D. in history and taught at Spelman and Boston University. But before he got those two jobs, he was an official member of the Communist Party USA for several years, from about 1948 to about 1953. Um, and like a good uh, party member, he gave up his official membership in order to spread the Marxist gospel through, uh, you know, the colleges. Uh, there's a guy you want writing the history of the United States for <laughs> school kids everywhere to read, a Marxist. Of all the people who have written books on American history, you pick a Marxist. Who, who, how did he do it? How did he get away with it? Who hired him? Who was the Who was the first person to say, you know, this is a good book. Let, let's let's use this one in the schools. Well, he was um, asked to write the book um, in the late seventies. Uh, Howard Zinn was something of of a celebrity. He was a radical celebrity. He went to um, North Vietnam um, with Father Berrigan um, to bring back some American POWs. Wanted to make that into a propaganda stunt. Um, he led protesters, um, you know, students against the Vietnam War to burn, encourage them to burn draft cards. He was involved in the civil rights movement when he was at Spelman College, but mostly succeeded in getting his students thrown in jail. Um, so he was in the news. He was, uh, you know, he, he debated William F. Buckley. Um, and so he was out there and he sort of represented the 1960 zeitgeist, uh, you know, the radicalism. So mm-hmm. it was the perfect time for someone with communist beliefs to, um, you know, espouse his views, spread them around, um, you know, sort of in the lingo of the 1960s. So uh, he was already popular. So I'm sure it was just a monetary decision, you know, the publisher thinking, hey, this guy's already got a name. You know, if you want to publish a book, if you've already got a name, they want you. 
and um, and there he, you know, sat sat down and plagiarized a lot of it, uh, distorted, much, you know, all of it, and uh, said, voila, I've got this, you know, people's history of the United States. Now, the National Education Association, um, that's one of the biggest uh, teachers' union unions, mm-hmm. um, I apparently they're a big supporter of Howard and and um, and and they've also um, made sure that the teachers in the union love the book. Correct. Yeah. Um, yes. I mean, the the, the education curriculum writers um, also promote him. You know, I was I'm on a couple of their email lists and PBS uh you know, learning is sending out lessons exclusively on Indigenous Peoples Day. There's the Zen Education Project that's sending out lessons on Indigenous Peoples Day and teaching students how to fight Columbus Day, wherever it still exists, that is. And, um, you know, so you've got all these different um, outfits that are pushing uh, Zen's version of American history. Um, so, you know, not to mention the professors and, um, you know, the education colleges that are pushing his version. And so they have um, pretty much succeeded in eliminating any uh, truthful discussion of Columbus in schools, if there is any discussion. So I guess he gets a lot of responsibility for tweets like this one that came from Elizabeth Warren, <laughs> that uh, famous Native American. She she tweeted, on Indigenous People Day, we celebrate the resilience, sovereignty, and rich cultures of Native communities, but the federal government has long failed to fulfill its obligations to tribal nations. We must do more to honor and uphold our promises to Native peoples, unquote. That's from Elizabeth Warren today, I guess. Uh-huh. Yeah. So. Wow. I guess she's speaking for herself or yeah, not yeah, this yeah. time? Yeah, she's one one millionth. Cherokee, I think she came up. Whatever that was, the number was amazingly small. Um, so, how many? Uh, how many kids? Well, well, first of all, you mentioned if it's mentioned at all. I wonder a lot because I, I I'm a long, uh, I'm very far removed from having kids in school, so I can't ask them. I don't talk to school kids much. Um, mm-hmm. Just in general, first of all, how often are kids like? Uh, do they talk about? Uh, historical dates in school anymore. Let's just say June sixth. Does it as it and it comes around to the? Does anybody are kids that even being told by teachers that that's D Day and then explained having it explained to them what D Day is and today uh, do they even bring up Columbus and if they do is it only to trash him? Yeah, I think that's the case. I mean, um, you know, I think they've succeeded pretty much in. Uh, almost eliminating him from any class discussions. He's, you know, just another one of those European colonizers who raped and pillaged and, um, you know, made a native slave for gold. Um, You know, from what I see, you know, what's being put out there, there isn't anything unless you, you know, have like a traditional homeschool study course and you're doing homeschool, but in the public schools, no. I mean, Howard Zinn was a, a speaker at the National Council for the Social Studies, you know, back in 2008, I think it was. So the the teachers, um, 
you know, a lot of them when, you know, they're getting their training and education colleges get Howard Zinn's book as their history textbook. That's the history still, that they learn. Still today. Yes. Oh, yeah. Even more so. I mean, his view is now the dominant one. I mean, 10 or 20 years ago, you know, his view was like, oh, wow, that's so radical. You know, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. a lot of young people would say, well, that's really cool. But now it's like, yeah, we all know, you know, that Christopher Columbus was a rapist and an enslaver. I mean, it's sort of become accepted. Mm-hmm. And so as a result, you know, we're getting, you know, the, if there are any Columbus monuments up, they're being torn down. There's one here in Syracuse. I mean, it's, uh, you know, in Columbus Circle. I mean, it's gorgeous. It's gigantic. But, I, you know, it seems like it's going to be coming down. Um, so it's become such a pervasive view. Um, a lot of people can't trace it back uh, to Howard Zinn, who was the popularizer of, you know, this malicious lie about, Columbus, but it's out there. And as he said in his autobiography, he was very proud of this accomplishment, that he had changed the dominant view of Columbus. Yeah, and he did that, according to what you've written about, by taking a lot of things out of context from Columbus's journals, right? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, There was a, a segment on the Sopranos. And, um, you know, A.J., the uh, boy, yeah. you know, reads, right? And um, and he's, you know, arguing and saying that Columbus was an enslaver. And uh, so he's reading literally, uh, you know, as presumably from Columbus's journals where he's talking about the Indians and saying they would make fine servants with 50 men. We could subjugate them all, make them do whatever we want. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, there's uh, some ellipses there between they would make fine servants and with 50 men we we could subjugate them all. Uh, there's a lot missing there, about two days' worth, pages' worth. <laughs> and what's uh, in there is a reference to the fact that this is not Columbus's view. It's the view of a hostile tribe because uh, contrary to what, Howard Zinn says, not all the native tribes were peaceful, loving, Mm -hmm. proto-hippies. Right. Um, You know, these Tainos that had, you know, come up to the boat were a gentle tribe, but they were being uh, persecuted by the Caribs, who were cannibals and, um, you know, were warring against, you know, the gentle tribe. In that case was... So Columbus was quoting somebody else, and then Zinn uh, attributed that quote to Columbus himself? Yes. And he also, in that passage, leaves out such statements uh, by Columbus saying uh, we could um, convert them more by love than by force. Actually, his words are, they are a people who can be made free and converted to our holy faith more by love than by force. And so that excludes, you know, Columbus's purpose, which was to save the souls well, of did, these people. Excuse me, Mary, but did Zinn leave that quote out? Yes. 
that, and, and that he said they, they could be converted with love rather than force. Yes, yes, and much more. I mean, you know, anybody uh, who's taken an English class knows that when you use those three or four dots that are ellipses, mm-hmm. it should not uh, leave out words that would fundamentally change the meaning, right? Right. Um, but but Howard Zinn does this, and he, of course he does it knowingly. Um, and, you know, he he leaves out all the positive quotes uh, about, um, you know, th- that would, um, you know, convey the true nature of Columbus's character and what others have said about him, such as uh, Las Casas priest who, who wrote about um, the abuse of the natives, you know, not by Columbus, but by some of the men. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's all left out. And of course, as I point out, about the first five and a half pages of Zinn's book are plagiarized. Most of it's plagiarized from um, a book by a radical Marxist friend. So, um, you know, it's it's not only false, but it's plagiarized. And uh, when he does quote from other sources or from Columbus himself, he grossly distorts the meaning so it means the opposite of what the original text said and and now it's you it's just pretty much accepted that Columbus was a bad guy I, I think that's I think it's fair to say that that it's even people who may not have thought that 10 years ago have now they've come around to the feeling that or the belief that um, it's if if I show any kind of um, uh, if I if I say anything positive about Columbus, I'm a racist, I'm a bigot, I'm a col- uh, colonizer. I think that's is, isn't that pretty much pervasive now. Yeah, and um, you know that's why these politicians like the mayor of Syracuse are buckling because mm-hmm. uh, you know you've got these loud constituents that accuse them of being racists if they don't take down these Columbus monuments and they don't dare argue with, with that view. If, you know, they, (laughs) you know, if they wanted to, um, because it's just automatically accepted that if you say anything positive about Columbus, you are a racist and, um, you know, you need to instead, uh, you know, have, you know, have indigenous people's day, you know, sort of, Mm-hmm. A you know to counteract Columbus because Columbus is not worthy of any kind of uh, acknowledgement or honor or celebration. And I'm uh, I'm wondering about the survival of the city of Columbus, <laughs> of the name I get not the city but the name. What do you think the chances are of that surviving? Well, I mean, I I, I know that there has been talk of changing that. Um, but think of all the other names we would have to change. Columbia, yeah. Right, Columbia University, District of Columbia. Um, <laughs> you know, there, there's a Columbus Circle in New York City, and I think in Washington, D.C. I mean, and there's a reason why so many places 
are named after Columbus. Um, it, it goes back to our heritage. This is how we distinguish ourselves from Britannia. Uh, mm-hmm. The first Columbus celebration was in 1792. So it goes back. I mean, this is our origins. And if you're trying to wipe out the memory of Columbus, you're wiping out the memory of m- much of our nation's history, our identity, actually. Well, well Mary, every every parent who has a kid in school should get your book and have their, their kids read it, debunking Howard Zinn, and should tell their kids that Christopher Columbus was a good guy. I, I appreciate you coming on. <laughs> I hope to have you on again before next Columbus Day. <laughs> okay, great. I'd be happy to. All thank right, you. Thank you. That's Mary Graybar. The happy book is Columbus Day. Yes, right. That's uh, Mary Graybar, and the book is called Debunking Howard Zinn. I'll be right back. Okay, Christopher Columbus. It is Columbus Day. Um, I traveled with the Steelers to Barcelona, Spain, and was, um, I don't know, it was probably late 90s, um, and one of my better experiences in my job as a TV sportscaster, and I was always a big uh, history guy, and, you know, around here you you see an old building, you see a 200-year-old building, and you think, boy, what an ancient building. You need to go to Europe um, although I never want to go back there. But you need if, if you really want to get an appreciation for old stuff, you go to Europe. So I was in Barcelona, Spain, and I made a point to go to a cathedral there. I can't remember the name of it. I should. But the cathedral was built, well, it took like 100 years to build it, but it, or more than that. But it, I think it was finished in the year 1000, okay? So, or maybe it, was, it began that. Anyway, it was really old. Hundreds and hundreds of years old. So in that church, uh, I find that um, Christopher Columbus was there. Uh, Queen uh, Isabella and um, brought him in there, and they set a mass to celebrate his safe return from the New World. That's That's an old building. That's an old building. And that was something that really, really impressed me. Um, not only that it was a really old building, but this cathedral, the ceiling on it, it it was ridiculously high. And we'll think of whatever any church you've been in with a really high, you know, a soaring ceiling, and this thing is twice that, and I don't know how they built it in the year 10-something, whatever it was. But Chris came there, and they celebrated a Mass for him, and then there was a little uh, spot in town, it would be like, the equivalent of Market Square in Pittsburgh, and it was preserved. And that's where the mayor had a little ceremony. The mayor of Barcelona had a little ceremony to um, honor Christopher Columbus uh, when he came there. And uh, I think they had wings. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I don't know what they had, but it was a they had a they had a celebration for him. And I guess I'm guessing Christopher spoke, and they thanked him. And that was in 1492, and that church and uh, that square, well, the church that, that where I saw the, uh, where they had the Mass was already 500 years old when Christopher came back and they had a little Mass for him. So it's, see if you can look around and find a 500-year-old church, not to mention one that's 1,000 years old. So 
Happy Columbus Day. I love Christopher Columbus. Talk to you tomorrow. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.